These songs have the ability to bring back memories. And that particular song, Abide With Me, was sung as I recall at my grandfather's funeral. And so I never hear that song without thinking about that. My grandfather that I trust has gone be with, to be with the Lord. And the Bible says that the saints are gathered around the throne singing praise to him tonight. That's true here, and it's true in eternity as well. What a beautiful, beautiful sight that will be when we will see our Savior. Tonight, I want to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 6 with you. This is one sermon in the series that we've been preaching on Sunday night about how can I know that I am saved? Can you know that? And tonight, the question takes a particular form, In that I want to ask you this question, can you grow in that confidence or can you grow in that assurance? Or is it either something you have or you don't have? And if you don't have it, you're never going to get it. And I want to read a somewhat difficult passage to understand, Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 12, but I want to alert you to the fact I'll be looking only at verses 11 and 12, maybe at some other point. We'll look at the earlier verses in this chapter. So hear the word of God from Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again to the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For the land that is drunk, the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same eagerness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." This is the word of God. Would you join me in prayer? Tonight, Father, we can feel, at least I can feel in my own heart, the great desire to make the truth that is found in your word clear to those who are listening. I ask that you would slow down my mind and even my words, that what I say is helpful and useful to your people. And each person who is here, each person who is listening, would have their eyes and their hearts open to this great truth. Father, your word is preserved by your Spirit. And now we call upon your Spirit as well to open that word to us, that we would hear, we would understand, we would be reassured that Jesus Christ is indeed ours. 
We pray in His powerful name. Amen. Are you sure that you are a Christian? I can think of three possible answers to that question. The first answer that might be given to that question, are you sure that you are a Christian, is what I'm going to call the plumber answer. This is not true of every plumber. It just happens to be a plumber that I worked with before I went to seminary. I remember talking with him on one Monday morning. He asked what I did over the weekend, and I had gone to church. I asked what he did, and he went fishing. And I asked him, do you believe that you're a Christian? And he said, well, of course I believe that I am a Christian because I'm a pretty good person. I take good care of my wife and my children, and I'm kind to other people, so of course I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. But here's the problem. Being a good person is not enough. And it is certainly not enough to know and to be sure that you are a Christian. The second is what I'm calling the Glenn response, not any Glenn that you might know. I won't describe this brother from many years ago any further except to say that he was indeed a member of a church. In fact, he went to church every Sunday morning with regularity, but he was a horrible person to be around, to be honest. He had a very foul mouth. That was my introduction to him. And his business broke up because he cheated his partner. And he had not repented of any of those things. Yet if you were to ask him, Glenn, are you a Christian? He would say, I go to church every Sunday. But I'm here to say tonight that going to church every Sunday is not enough. It does not. It is not enough to be sure that you are saved. The third response, beyond the plumber and the Glenn response, that you might give to the question, are you sure that you're a saved? Are you sure that you're a Christian? Is the Louise, the Louise answer. Again, no Louise that you might know. She was, in fact, a faithful member of the church. Her children said she had been faithful. She read her Bible. She, re- she repented of her sin. She said that she believed in Jesus. But Louise was often worried because she would look back on her life and she would find places of inconsistency. She was sometimes angry, especially when her children misbehaved. She sometimes said things to other people she shouldn't really say. And sometimes she really did not even enjoy the long sermons the pastor preached on Sunday evenings. Hard to believe, isn't it? And so she would ask me the question, Pastor, am I saved? Am I really sure that I am saved? How can I know for certain that I am saved? How is it possible to grow in that assurance? That is the question that is being addressed tonight. It's not number one. If you're a plumber, the call to you tonight is repent. If you are a Glenn... The call to you tonight is to repent. But if you are a Louise, then I'm here with verses 11 and 12 from this passage to tell you how it is possible for us to grow in our confidence, our assurance that we are, in fact, saved. I want to introduce this passage by reading a few words from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, part 3. 
Oh, to require, as my grade school teacher used to tell us, put on your thinking cap, there are some large words in here, but I will explain these as we go through the sermon tonight. It says, this infallible assurance is not so essential to faith that a true believer may not have doubts and conflicts about it, possibly waiting for some time for it and to grow into it. But since the Spirit enables believers to know the things that are freely given to them by God, every believer, listen to this, may come to a full assurance of salvation by the ordinary work of the Spirit without unusual revelation. Can you believe that for generations in Bible-believing churches, we have confessed that you can grow in your assurance of salvation, unless you think that's just the theological musings of the divines at the Westminster Assembly many years ago, I want to show you that that's true from verses 11 and 12. And I want to begin with a three-word phrase that is found in verse 11, about which you must understand the rest of what I will say will make no difference whatsoever. It's a simple phrase in verse 11. You can follow there in your Bibles if you have of them. We read, and we desire each one of you to show the same eagerness to have, and then these words, the full assurance of hope. Full assurance of hope. This concern about assurance or confidence is found throughout the book of Hebrews. What I'm about to say does not occur just here in chapter 6 in a couple of verses. No, the writer over and over returns to this question. So that tonight, if you struggle with this particular question, let me tell you, you are in good confidence along with these recipients of the book of Hebrews. In fact, if I can encourage you even more, I would say many Christians across many generations, both in Bible times and afterward, have struggled with this question, can I be confident, certain that I am saved? How can I grow in that confidence? I want to show you that this is true. Go back in your Bibles to chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, if you have them. Otherwise, I'll read these words for you. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says there, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let me sort of narrow your focus for just a moment. Maybe you're not wondering about this big question, am I confident I am a believer? Is it possible for me to grow in this? Let me ask you a very particular question about when you pray. Do you believe that when you pray, the God of heaven and earth, God Almighty, God of perfection and glory, listens and cares about your prayers? Do they really matter to Him? Or is it more likely that when you pray, you have in your mind, there's a God out there somewhere, he is high and lifted up. Holy, 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 the angels cry out to this God. And here you are in your miserable life, being a sinner, and all these terrible things may have happened to you in your life. And you think to yourself, why would the God of the universe who is great and holy care about someone like me? 
In some way, what I'm asking is just a reduction of the bigger question, you see. How can you be sure that God listens to someone like me and to you? Here's the answer. The writer of the Hebrews says, consider Jesus Christ. The great high priest, the mediator, intercessor of his people, who came in his own flesh into this world and then ascended to heaven in his flesh while he was here. He lived in our flesh for people like you. He took upon himself the punishment that we deserve. In one sacrifice on the cross, Jesus took eternal eternal punishment that we deserve so that when God Almighty, King of the universe, holy and lifted up, looks at us, he sees us through Jesus Christ. We have that kind of high priest, so that when you come before this God, this God does not see you simply as who you are, but he sees you clothed in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. That's why he listens to your prayers. It's not because you frame them well. It's not because you remember to ask everything that you ought in the way that you should. No, the reason Jesus hears your prayer, my dear brother or sister, is because of the intercessory power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Can you believe that? You have an audience with God Himself. And that audience is possible because of Jesus Christ. It's an argument that He makes in chapter 4. If you flip a few pages over to chapter 10, you'll see that use of confidence again in a different context. Chapter 10, chapter 10, beginning verse, first at verse 12, it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. There again is that work of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ for you. Then look at verse 19. 19 says, Therefore, brothers, therefore, because of what Christ has done, and you can read the the intervening verses that talk about that work, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through that curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in what? In full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What does the writer of Hebrews say? Because of the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can go before our God with full confidence that our God accepts us as His children. I can't emphasize that enough to you tonight because a temptation for all of us is not to look upwards, but to look inward. What do you see when you look inward in your life? If you're like me, you look at yourself and you think, oh my word, if people only knew who I was, I can do pretty well at showing up and giving you an appearance as though I'm all put together, but I'm laying in bed at night struggling through various things that are going on in my heart and my life. I wonder why would God listen to someone like me? 
Maybe you can think back as I've noted my aged grandma to sins that you committed many years ago. Maybe there were simple things, like in her case, opening her Christmas package and never telling anyone and feeling guilty about it. Maybe there are things that we would count far more significant. Maybe you've been unfaithful to your husband or your wife. Maybe you're a person who gossips. Maybe you have a longing for things you know you should not have, for power, position, Maybe you don't treat others around you the way that you ought. You see these things, you fight against them, and yet you look at your heart and you see all these reasons. Maybe it comes down to as simple as, I lack confidence in God's care for me. I don't see what he's doing. I don't know why this is happening. Why can't I believe that he is doing good? Or maybe your struggle is not so much just in your heart, but it's in your life in general. Maybe you've had significant challenges in life. Maybe you grew up in a family where there wasn't love and kindness. Instead, there was heartache and struggle. Maybe you've been through a relationship that leaves you brokenhearted. Maybe you've been cheated and deceived. Maybe you've struggled through a job and you've tried your best and you still end up getting fired. Maybe you've tried to be wise in your finances and yet you look at your bank account and you think, what in the world? If the God who says he loves me in Jesus Christ actually loved me, why does my life look like this? Why do I struggle so badly? And as we think about those sins or the sinful state of our world, we come to the conclusion far too often, I've sinned too much, my life is too difficult, add it all up, and here's where I get to where I can't belong to him. He must not really love me. There's no way that I can be confident that I am saved in him. And to add to that, let me be honest with you tonight. Often, I don't know if often, but at least sometimes in church culture, we make the problem even worse. Is that true? I'd ask you. We are asked Sunday after Sunday if we really believe, if we're really being obedient, and the spotlight is shown on our hearts, we're asked to consider over and over, are we really we ought to be? And we get stuck at the fact we're not, rather than moving on to the wide ocean of the grace of Jesus Christ. Sin doesn't lead to repentance to joyful embracing of the gospel. No, we get stuck at the point where we're called to repent over and over and over again. And even in some contexts, we're told that if you have too much joy in your salvation or you're confident that you're saved, that you're really a proud person and you should humble yourself and not be so full (laughs) of your sense that things are okay between you and God. I want you to hear something tonight, and this is really the whole sermon. For those of you who wonder, what are you really trying to tell us? I'm going to tell you. This is the opposite of what the writer means by the full assurance of hope. The writer does not mean that we look inward or we look around us. The writer labors in the book of Hebrews, coming back to this theme time and again, 
with the truth that we are not perfect and our life is not the way we want it to be. But rather than looking inward and around us, he says, look upward to the place where Jesus Christ is. Where Jesus Christ is there interceding for you, my dear sister, my dear brother. He is there because of his love for you. He poured out his life and his blood for you. He's not waiting for you to simply clean yourself up and be perfect so that your life looks perfect or your circumstances look perfect. No, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he reaches into the moment when we most need him and we simply say to him, here I am, I am a sinner who has no hope except in Jesus Christ. That's it. He loves you. He loves you. And this is not a simple theological truth. I want you to embrace this as truth that is intended for you. And if that is all you can remember tonight from this sermon, that will be enough. When you ask the question, can I grow in my assurance and my confidence that I belong to Jesus, think to yourself, don't look inward, don't look around, look up to see Jesus. And if you look up to see Jesus and you understand the greatness of what Jesus has done for you, then you can grow in your assurance, in your confidence that you belong to Him. You might say, well, what does that mean? Just look upward. Obviously, I'm speaking in metaphorical language. I'm not saying literally lift your eyes to heaven where you will see His body, His person. I'm saying tune your heart to look to Him. How are you going to do that? The Westminster Confession of Faith says through ordinary means. What does that mean? That's language to say through the ways that God has given us in His Word that tell us we will grow in communion with Jesus Christ. Knowing and reading, meditating on His Word, coming to Him in prayer, enjoying the fellowship of God's people. These are ways in which God has promised to communicate His grace to us. They're not simply going to deliver based on the practice. But for those who come in humble faith, these are the ways in which God has promised to work. If I can give you a very simple analogy, I remember when I first came to know my wife. I can tell you the first time that I saw her on the college campus. I hope you don't mind me getting a little personal. I was working campus security, and I was there handing out stickers for all the bikes. And I had met her once, you're going to love this, in church before. And I sat behind her, and she was dating someone else at the time, and I prayed to the Lord, Lord, I would love to meet someone like her. She's already taken. Would it be possible And the next year, beginning of college, I saw her come. I'm sure she was walking, but in my mind, she's floating across the campus, coming toward me. She didn't have a bicycle. She just wanted to talk to me. I know, I heard someone say, oh, that's the way I felt. (laughs) And here's the reason I'm telling you this. I made it my mission in life to get to know her. To know her roommates, to know that she loved black heeled gold jewelry, to know that she loved to look at the stars, 
to know that she loved different kinds of rocks, to know that, know that she was Canadian, and she said, A, and she loved to sing the Canadian National Anthem. I could break out in the Canadian National Anthem right now because I learned it for her. What the Scripture is commending tonight is a growth in knowing about Jesus Christ. Not because I'm just telling you it's a right thing to do and you are bound by duty, but because in your heart you long to know our Savior, and as you do, the Bible says you will grow in that full measure of assurance. That's the truth of God's Word to you. That is confidence that we belong to Jesus Christ. That's the first word I want you to keep in mind tonight, confidence. Everything I'm going to say from this point simply builds on that truth, and I'm going to be relatively brief, because I realize sometimes talking a long time after giving you the main point actually detracts. So I want to go back to these verses and show you two things that complement this small phrase, full confidence or full assurance of hope. There are two things in addition. The addition, the apostle says, and I want to show these to you so that you can understand what he means by confidence. The second word I want you to hear is comprehensive. For those who are younger, it just means the whole thing. Look at verse 11. I'm going to read it for you again. It says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. The apostle is piling up words that all lead to this grand word comprehensive. First, he says it's for every one of you. Maybe you think to yourself, you look around, not literally, but you're thinking in your mind, well, this may be true for other people who are more advanced in their Christian life. I've got a long ways to go. Let me tell you tonight that's not true. The apostle says it's true for every one of us. Every one of us is called to grow in this confidence, this assurance of faith. Hear that. To put it rather bluntly, the sermon's for you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, this sermon is meant to speak to you. The second hint of comprehensiveness in this verse is he says the same earnestness. Now you might wonder, what does that mean? If you look in the previous verse, in verse 10, we read about how these readers cared For each other, some of you are great carers. Way more of you than I even know. I'd love to call out some of you by name. No worries, I'm not going to. But you show an earnestness in caring for those around you. You love it. You're passionate about it. Nothing makes you feel like you're serving the Lord better than caring for other people. Well, the apostle says, you know that earnestness that you apply to those around you? Here's the challenge. Show the same earnestness in pursuit of Jesus Christ. Would you understand one area, now apply it to the other. Maybe I can be a little bit more universal here. All of us have some of that ability, do we not? Now take that desire and just apply it over here. The apostle says... The third part of this comprehensiveness is to the end. 
That is meant to be emphatic by the way it is placed at the very end of the sentence. It's like the apostle is building to this. It is not meant to say that sometimes you should have assurance and other times it's okay if you don't. No, what we read in the Westminster is sometimes it ebbs and flows. That's true. Maybe tonight you came here and you thought, I'm in the not very strong position. Or maybe you came here tonight and you thought, I am totally confident that I am a child belonging to Jesus Christ. Whether you are weak or whether you are strong, the apostle is saying at the end of verse 11 that you are to pursue this assurance as an ordinary part of your life. It is not auxiliary. It's not for when you retire. It's not for when you hit 50. It's not when you hit 50 only. It's not when you hit 20. It's not when you turn 12. It is for every stage of life. So if I go back to the question, can I grow in assurance? The answer, to fill it out a little bit more, is yes, by looking beyond yourself to Jesus Christ and beyond the circumstances of life, up to Jesus Christ, and making the pursuit of Jesus Christ the ordinary work of your life. That's comprehensive. So let me go from confidence to comprehensive to now the consequence, the third C. I couldn't avoid it. (laughs) The consequence, that's verse 12. Verse 12 tells us what happens when we make pursuit of Jesus Christ the ordinary work of our life. If you were to read the section that comes after, you would read about Abraham. Or if you would read a few chapters later, you would read about saints beyond Abraham. You might read about Moses. You might read about Rahab. We might add New Testament characters like Peter or Paul or Mary Magdalene. And what is described in verse 12 is that we are like those who have come before us. Just like they strove after Jesus Christ, we are called to do the same. We are like Isaiah and Jeremiah. We are like Peter and Paul. Each one of these lived his or her life with the earnestness that is commended in verse 11. You might be able to look around this building tonight, and maybe in your mind you can identify people who are doing this very well, striving so well. They are earnest in their pursuit of Jesus and the assurance he brings. Not to embarrass my dear parents, but one of the primary gifts that they gave me as their child was the earnestness which with, which with they pursued Jesus Christ. You know, my wife and I went some time ago to fill out a will because of circumstances in life. It was a little hard. <laughs> and the man who was filling out the will, or the, the woman who was filling out the will for us, asked, and do you expect to inherit anything from your parents? I knew immediately what was being asked. That is, is there some big nest egg that at some point you're going to receive? I knew that's what was being asked, but my mind went to, oh, my dear friend, you have no idea what my parents have given me to inherit. Way past. If they could drop 10 million bucks in my bank account, it would not be nearly worth what they have given 
And it is to the end, verse 12 says, that through faith and patience, we inherit the promise. That is, if you go back earlier in the chapter, that is the promise of eternal peace and rest. That's what we inherit. Again, because of the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, His love for us, nothing more and certainly nothing less. In chapter 18, part 3, the Westminster Confession of Faith goes on to say, Therefore, it is every believer's duty to establish the certainty of his calling and election, so that his heart may be filled with peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, with love and thankfulness to God, and with strength and cheerfulness of obedience. These are the true products of assurance, which is never conducive to an undisciplined life. Is it possible to grow in the assurance of your salvation? Absolutely yes. By not merely looking inward or looking around, but looking up to Jesus Christ and pursuing in your relationship with Jesus Christ in earnestness, that demonstrates your absolute reliability upon your Savior. May that be true for each one who hears this word tonight. Amen. Holy Father, we are humbled that you have given us this word. We confess our utter unwillingness to receive it. Why is it that the God of the universe, one who is so holy and great, tonight us that we belong it's not because of anything that is inherent in us. It is because of our Savior Jesus. And we cry out in thankfulness to you. Thank you, God, that you have come to us in exactly the place that we have needed. And you've told us, not because of you, but because of me, because of my grace, I make you my son and my daughter. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us this truth. I pray for those of us for whom this assurance of faith is a very real struggle. May you use your word tonight. May your spirit minister this word to comfort us as we walk before you to challenge us to seek our Savior Jesus Christ. It is in his precious name that we pray. Amen.